Madame Baptiste by Guy de Maupassant, 1850-1893. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. Madame Baptiste. The first thing I did was to look at the clock as I entered the waiting room of the station at Lubin, and I found that I had to wait two hours and ten minutes for the Paris Express. I had walked twenty miles and felt suddenly tired. Not seeing anything on the station walls to amuse me, I went outside and stood there racking my brains to think of something to do. The street was a kind of boulevard, planted with uh, acacias, and on either side a row of houses of varying shape and different styles of architecture, houses such as one only sees in a small town, and ascended a slight hill, at the extreme end of which there were some trees, as though it ended in a park. From time to time a cat crossed the street and jumped over the gutters carefully. A cur sniffed at every tree and hunted for scraps from the kitchens, but I did not see a single human being, and I felt listless and disheartened. What could I do with myself? I was already thinking of the inevitable and interminable visit to the small café at the railway station, where I should have to sit over a glass of undrinkable beer and the illegible newspaper, when I saw a funeral procession coming out of a side street into the one in which I was, and the sight of the hearse was a relief to me. It would, at any rate, give me something to do for ten minutes. Suddenly, however, my curiosity was aroused. The hearse was followed by eight gentlemen, one of whom was weeping, while the others were chatting together, but there was no priest, and I thought to myself, this is a non-religious funeral. And then I reflected that a town like Lubay must contain at least a hundred free thinkers who would have made a point of making a manifestation. What could it be, then? The rapid pace of the procession clearly proved that the body was to be buried without ceremony, and, consequently, without the intervention of the church. My idle curiosity framed the most complicated surmises, and as the hearse passed me, a strange idea struck me, which was to follow it with the eight gentlemen. That would take up my time for an hour at least, and I accordingly walked with the others, with a sad look on my face, and, on seeing this, the two last turned round in surprise, and then spoke to each other in a low voice. No doubt they were asking each other whether I belonged to the town, and then they consulted the two in front of them, who stared at me in turn. This close scrutiny annoyed me, and to put an end to it I went up to them, and after bowing I said, I beg your pardon, gentlemen, for interrupting your conversation, but seeing a civil funeral, I have followed it, although I did not know the deceased gentleman whom you are accompanying. It was a woman, one of them said. I was much surprised at hearing this and asked, But it is a civil funeral, is it not? The other gentleman, who evidently wished to tell me all about it, then said, Yes and no.
the clergy have refused to allow us the use of the church on hearing this i uttered a prolonged ah of astonishment i could not understand it at all but my obliging neighbour continued it is rather a long story this young woman committed suicide and that is the reason why she cannot be buried with any religious ceremony the gentleman who is walking first and who is crying is her husband i replied with some hesitation you surprise and interest me very much monsieur shall i be indiscreet if i ask you to tell me the facts of the case if i am troubling you forget that i have said anything about the matter the gentleman took my arm familiarly not at all not at all let us linger a little behind the others and i will tell it you though it is a very sad story we have plenty of time before getting to the cemetery the trees of which you see up yonder for it is a stiff pull up this hill and he began this young woman madame paul hamo was the daughter of a wealthy merchant in the neighbourhood monsieur fontenelle when she was a mere child of eleven she had a shocking adventure a footman attacked her and she nearly died a terrible criminal case was the result and the man was sentenced to penal servitude for life the little girl grew up stigmatized by disgrace isolated without any companions and grown-up people would scarcely kiss her for they thought that they would soil their lips if they touched her forehead and she became a sort of monster a phenomenon to all the town people said to each other in a whisper you know little fontenelle and everybody turned away in the streets when she passed her parents could not even get a nurse to take her out for a walk as the other servants held aloof from her as if contact with her would poison everybody who came near her it was pitiable to see the poor child go and play every afternoon she remained quite by herself standing by her maid and looking at the other children amusing themselves sometimes yielding to an irresistible desire to mix with the other children she advanced timidly with nervous gestures and mingled with the group with furtive steps as if conscious of her own disgrace and immediately the mothers aunts and nurses would come running from every seat and take the children entrusted to their care by the hand and drag them brutally away little fontenelle remained isolated wretched without understanding what it meant and then she began to cry nearly heartbroken with grief and then she used to run and hide her head in her nurse's lap sobbing as she grew up it was worse still they kept the girls from her as if she were stricken with the plague remember that she had nothing to learn nothing that she no longer had the right to the symbolic wreath of orange flowers that almost before she could read she had penetrated that redoubtable mystery which mothers scarcely allow their daughters to guess at trembling as they enlightened them on the night of their marriage when she went through the streets always accompanied by her governess as if her parents feared some fresh terrible adventure 
with her eyes cast down under the load of that mysterious disgrace which she felt was always weighing upon her the other girls who were not nearly so innocent as people thought whispered and giggled as they looked at her knowingly and immediately turned their heads absently if she happened to look at them people scarcely greeted her only a few men bowed to her and the mothers pretended not to see her while some young blackguards called her madame baptiste after the name of the footman who had attacked her nobody knew the secret torture of her mind for she hardly ever spoke and never laughed and her parents themselves appeared uncomfortable in her presence as if they bore her a constant grudge for some irreparable fault an honest man would not willingly give his hand to a liberated convict would he even if that convict were his own son and monsieur and madame fontenelle looked on their daughter as they would have done on the son who had just been released from the hulks she was pretty and pale tall slender distinguished-looking and she would have pleased me very much monsieur but for that unfortunate affair well when a new sub-prefect was appointed here eighteen months ago he brought his private secretary with him he was a queer sort of fellow who had lived in the latin quarter it appears he saw mademoiselle fontenelle and fell in love with her and when told of what occurred he merely said bah that is just a guarantee for the future and i would rather it should have happened before i married her than afterward i shall live tranquilly with that woman he paid his addresses to her asked for her hand and married her and then not being deficient in assurance he paid wedding calls as if nothing had happened some people returned them others did not but at last the affair began to be forgotten and she took her proper place in society she adored her husband as if he had been a god for you must remember he had restored her to honour and to social life had braved public opinion faced insults and in a word performed such a courageous act as few men would undertake and she felt the most exalted and tender love for him when she became enciente and it was known the most particular people and the greatest sticklers opened their doors to her as if she had been definitely purified by maternity it is strange but so it is and thus everything was going on as well as possible until the other day which was the feast of the patron saint of our town the prefect surrounded by his staff and the authorities presided at the musical competition and when he had finished his speech the distribution of medals began which paul hamo his private secretary handed to those who were entitled to them as you know there are always jealousies and rivalries which make people forget all propriety all the ladies of the town were there on the platform and in his turn the bandmaster from the village of mormilon came up this band was only to receive a second-class medal for one cannot give first-class medals to everybody can one but when the private secretary handed him his badge the man threw it in his face and exclaimed you may keep your medal for baptiste you owe him a first-class one also just as you do me there were a number of people there who began to laugh 
The common herd are neither charitable nor refined, and every eye was turned towards the poor lady. Have you ever seen a woman going mad, monsieur? Well, we were present at the sight. She got up and fell back on her chair three times in succession, as if she wished to make her escape, but saw that she could not make her way through the crowd, and then another voice in the crowd exclaimed, Aho, ho, Madame Baptiste! And a great uproar, partly of laughter and partly of indignation, arose. The word was repeated over and over again. People stood on tiptoe to see the unhappy woman's face. Husbands lifted their wives up in their arms so that they might see her, and people asked, Which is she? The one in blue? The boys crowed like cocks, and laughter was heard all over the place. She did not move now on her state chair, but sat just as if she had been put there for the crowd to look at. She could not move, nor conceal herself, nor hide her face. Her eyelids blinked quickly, as if a vivid light were shining on them, and she breathed heavily, like a horse that is going up a steep hill, so that it almost broke one's heart to see her. Meanwhile, however, Monsieur Hamo had seized a ruffian by the throat, and they were rolling on the ground together, amid a scene of indescribable confusion, and the ceremony was interrupted. An hour later, as the Hamos were returning home, the young woman, who had not uttered a word since the insult, but who was trembling as if all her nerves had been set in motion by springs, suddenly sprang over the parapet of the bridge and threw herself into the river before her husband could prevent her. The water is very deep under the arches, and it was two hours before her body was recovered. Of course, she was dead. The narrator stopped and then added, It was perhaps the best thing she could do under the circumstances. There are some things which cannot be wiped out, and now you understand why the clergy refused to have her taken into church. Ah, if it had been a religious funeral, the whole town would have been present. But you can understand that her suicide added to the other affair, and made families abstain from attending her funeral. And then, it is not an easy matter here to attend a funeral which is performed without religious rites. We passed through the cemetery gates, and I waited, much moved by what I had heard, until the coffin had been lowered into the grave, before I went up to the poor fellow who was sobbing violently, to press his hand warmly. He looked at me in surprise through his tears, and then said, "'Thank you, monsieur,' and I was not sorry that I had followed the funeral. End of Madame Baptiste Recording by Peter Tomlinson